The following presentation is brought to you by the Realm Network. Buzz Burbank, news and comment. National crisis. Thy name is Trump. This is Thursday, July 27th, 2017. Thank you very much for listening and for supporting this free independent news when you use and bookmark the Amazon links at buzzburbank.com. We will get to health care, which still teeters in the balance. But first, we have a house fire to address. From Washington State to Washington, D.C. and Point South, Americans are on democracy watch as the nation teeters on the brink of a constitutional and real-world crisis. It has become clear and it has been substantiated that our current president is plotting to replace the attorney general so the special counsel investigating a Russian conspiracy can be fired. If that happens, the nation is headed for a constitutional crisis and, judging from the polls and social media, people are ready to peacefully but loudly take to the streets. The facts are these, that a congressional vacation already delayed by health care votes is just around the corner, that any sitting president has the power to fill vacancies in his cabinet anytime Congress is in official recess for 10 days or more. It's called a recess appointment. That Senate Republican leader Mitch McConnell has the power to never declare any recess official and to keep vacations to under 10 days. He did it with Obama to keep Obama from filling cabinet vacancies on which Republicans refused to act. It doesn't seem likely McConnell would use that same tactic on Trump. Possible, but not likely. Also fact, Trump is launching daily attacks on the man he chose to be attorney general, repeatedly and publicly criticizing the nation's top law enforcement official because Trump is angry about Sessions recusing himself from the Russia investigation. It is clear Trump is trying to get Sessions to resign to avoid the stigma of a Nixon-esque Saturday night massacre. If Sessions refuses to quit, as appears to be the case, Trump would be forced to fire Sessions. And that a new attorney general might not recuse himself from the Russia probe and could fire Jeff Sessions, keeping the president's hands clean, at least in Trump's mind. Just in the first few days of this week, Trump has repeatedly disparaged his own choice for attorney general, the first and at one point the only Republican in Congress at the time to endorse Trump. Sessions has taken a very weak position on Hillary, Trump tweeted in at least his second Twitter tantrum of the week. CBS News reported that Trump's disparagement of Sessions indicates a growing rift between Trump and Sessions. More accurately, it indicates the president's intention of firing the special counsel by finding somebody else to do it for him. Trump has spent the past week setting the stage for the ouster of Attorney General Jeff Sessions. In an interview, Trump said he was unhappy with Sessions' decision to recuse himself from the Russia investigation. It's all about Russia. Trump carried this grudge since March. When Sessions didn't resign as nearly everyone expected him to, Trump turned up the heat. And then it was leaked, many speculate, by the White House itself, that Sessions had met with the Russian ambassador Sergei Kislyak during the campaign to talk about the campaign despite Sessions' denials. Trump then tweeted that these kinds of leaks must stop. But by Monday, Trump was again slamming his faithful attorney general, calling Sessions beleaguered, a word Trump has never uttered publicly before, a word that would seem to be outside his usual vocabulary. In his Monday tweet, Trump asked publicly why our beleaguered AG hadn't investigated crooked Hillary's crimes in Trump's ongoing effort to muddy the water. On Tuesday, he called Sessions weak and said time will tell whether Sessions keeps his job. Time will tell indeed. Sessions' friends say he does not intend to resign and that he is, quote, totally pissed off. Sessions intends to stay to pursue his own conservative agenda. Other Republicans are pissed as well. Some concerned Trump will also turn on them. Numerous Republican lawmakers have made it clear they do not like the way their former colleague is being treated. Speculation immediately turned to who might replace Sessions as attorney general, specifically who might take the job and not recuse themselves from the investigation. There were reports that person might be Rudy Giuliani, the former New York mayor who was tasked by Trump during the campaign to craft a Muslim ban that could slip by the courts, a task Giuliani eagerly took up. But Giuliani seemed to take himself out of the running for the job as Trump's attorney general when he said Sessions made the right decision to recuse himself from the Russia investigation. 
Giuliani cited the rules of the Justice Department, which he says required Sessions to step away from the probe, regardless of the president's wishes. Newsweek reported this week that Secretary of State Rex Tillerson doesn't like the way his fellow cabinet members being treated and that he may be planning a Rexit. Tillerson's friends told CNN he's grown so frustrated with Trump and his advisors he's considering quitting before the year is out. Tillerson's already been hamstrung by extreme budget cuts at the State Department under Trump. Tillerson unloaded some of his frustration when he exploded at a meeting of top White House staffers last month, saying he wanted the White House to stop trying to staff his department. The person Tillerson had chosen to be his second-in-command was rejected by the White House. Tillerson was never consulted when the administration instituted its Muslim ban earlier this year. He was kept out of the loop on decisions regarding Syria, including the bombings. And Tillerson's been contradicted and overruled on other Middle East matters as well. Tillerson's friends say he's come to realize that's not going to change. The State Department reports that Tillerson has now decided to take a little time off. It's been a rough week for Tillerson. The Treasury Department fined ExxonMobil $2 million for violating U.S. sanctions on Russia while he was Exxon's CEO. Exxon got slammed for making a deal with the oligarch who runs a Russian oil company that was on that sanctions list. Treasury accused Exxon of reckless disregard for the sanctions. Exxon is fighting the fine, now suing the Treasury Department for $2 million, claiming its $2 million fine is illegal because the company says it was denied due process. Exxon says its deal with the oligarch doesn't fall under those sanctions and that the fine is therefore fundamentally unfair. Last week, we learned of a secret meeting, a previously unknown second meeting at the G20 summit between Donald Trump and Russia's President Vladimir Putin. We all knew about the official meeting, the one that lasted four times longer than scheduled, and about their handshake greeting earlier, of course. That's the first two. And then we learned of that undisclosed, unmonitored meeting later that evening at a dinner for the world leaders who'd gathered in Germany. This week, we've learned there may have been even more meetings there between Putin and Trump. There might have been even much more than just three times, according to Russian Foreign Minister Sergei Lavrov, who added, maybe they went to the toilet together. The administration that lives by the tweet may figuratively die by the tweet. Just because Trump pushed out Sean Spicer as White House spokesman, replacing him with Sarah Huckabee Sanders doesn't mean that Trump's off Twitter. Au contraire. Trump had another Twitter fit over the weekend, a dozen Saturday morning alone, and other tirades have followed since. Even after the White House scrambled to explain that Trump wasn't seriously considering pardoning himself, even though he did specifically ask about that, Trump turned around and tweeted that he had, quote, complete power to pardon himself and his family. He again threw up the smoke bomb of fake news and lashed out at the Washington Post for leaking news about Jeff Sessions. The Post only reported what had already been leaked. It was the Trump administration that had done the leaking. The tirade would not have been complete without the perfunctory attacks on Obamacare and on Hillary Clinton. Trump's Twitter tantrum lasted nearly two hours, the leader of the free world spewing more lies and more bile through his thumbs. Even the new communications director brought in to unify the White House message and to stop the White House leaks felt he had to delete some of his old tweets, the ones criticizing Trump and praising Hillary Clinton. If Anthony Scaramucci, who has no experience in government communications, was brought in to clear up things and help the White House present a unified front, he failed immediately. On Sunday, the administration was all over the road on whether Trump will or won't sign a bill imposing new and tougher sanctions on Russia for its invasion of Crimea and its multi-layered attack on the U.S. presidential election. The new White House communications director and the new White House press secretary immediately contradicted each other about Trump's position on these new Russia sanctions. Sanders told reporters Trump is, quote, supportive of being tough on Russia, while Scaramucci told CNN Trump, quote, hasn't made the decision yet. Later in the day, Trump tweeted again, saying he would sign the sanctions bill, but used the opportunity to again attack what he called the Russian witch hunt. Scaramucci was hired to beat down the Russian story and to try to draw everyone's attention to the Trump agenda, but he was also hired to get everybody in the administration on the same page, and that fell apart with questions about whether Trump was looking to pardon himself. 
Trump tweets that he does have that power. One of his lawyers agrees, but said Trump hadn't discussed it with the lawyers. But Scaramucci says Trump brought it up. Scaramucci says Trump made it clear that he, quote, doesn't have to be pardoned, that nobody around him has to be pardoned. Scaramucci adding he was just making a statement about the power of pardons. On taking the job as communications director, Scaramucci announced he'd be deleting some of his old tweets. He did, but the Internet is forever and his old tweets can still be found elsewhere. They paint a picture of hypocrisy. Just five years ago, Scaramucci was a liberal strongly in favor of tighter gun control and gay marriage. He was pro-choice and anti-death penalty. But Scaramucci has a new job, so the old Scaramucci has been deleted. Worst of all, or perhaps best of all, the new Trump communications director may have already said too much if he hoped to prevent the impeachment of this president. Appearing on CNN, Scaramucci cast doubt on whether the Russian attack ever really happened, telling Jake Tapper that someone had called him just the day before questioning that attack. I won't tell you who said Scaramucci, adding that if Russia had attacked our political process, they're so good we'd never know about it that there wouldn't be any evidence at all. The CNN host pressed him on that phone call. Scaramucci snapped back, How about it was the president, Jake? He called me from Air Force One and said maybe they did it, maybe they didn't. In that moment, Scaramucci had already betrayed the confidence of the president and revealed to investigators that Trump has more faith in Russian intelligence than he does in U.S. intelligence, and that Trump's still working behind the scenes to discredit the Russia investigation. All of that in the debut of Trump's new communications director, who says to stop the leaks, he'll pare down the staff to those who will obey the new protocol for preventing leaks. Scaramucci says he'll fire everybody if he has to, except for himself and Sarah Huckabee Sanders. With that, an employee of the White House Communications Division resigned. As for the new sanctions on Russia, there's more to that bill than that. The bill being discussed by lawmakers this week that they hope to pass by the end of August. The bill also contains tougher sanctions on Iran for its part in the war in Syria and North Korea for its increasing nuclear aggression. But it's the Russia part that gets the most attention, considering the investigations into possible collusion between Russia and the Trump campaign in manipulating the 2016 vote. If Trump hopes to draw attention away from that suspicion, his only move is to approve these tough new sanctions. But the bill contains something else Trump doesn't like. It requires him to get permission from Congress before trying to stop or even soften the economic punishment of Russia. Lawmakers are taking that extra precaution since lawmakers in both parties are at least suspicious of Trump's motives. The House on Tuesday voted overwhelmingly for the sanctions and for stripping Trump of the power to remove them. Now it's off to the Senate. If Adam Schiff's instincts are correct, multiple members of the Trump family could wind up in prison on charges of laundering money for Russia. Schiff is the top Democrat on the House Intelligence Committee that's investigating possible conspiracy between Russia and the Trump campaign to shift the election in his favor. And Schiff thinks money laundering may be the reason Trump's drawn a red line at his family's financial dealings. Quoting Schiff on Face the Nation, the president is clearly worried Bob Mueller will be looking into allegations the Russians may have laundered money through the Trump organization. What concerns me most, said Schiff, is that anything can be held over the president's head that could influence U.S. policy. That would be among the most powerful forms of compromat. Compromat is the Russian word for compromising information that can be used to blackmail, extort, or influence its target. The congressional investigations into Russia's attack and the Trump campaign's possible conspiracy to aid in that attack seem to be on shaky ground this week, but they are trying to follow the money. Presidential son-in-law and guy in charge of everything, Jared Kushner, finally revealed the 77 financial assets he hadn't bothered to report on his original financial disclosure statement. One of Kushner's high-priced lawyers says it was an inadvertent mistake not to include those assets. His client inadvertently omitted 77 items, he says. For being Trump's guy on everything, Kushner sure makes a lot of mistakes. He's updated his financial disclosure statement 39 times just since March. After his testimony, Kushner met with reporters to recite a carefully worded statement in which he said he never relied on Russian financing for his businesses, but he didn't say he'd never used Russian financing. 
Kushner's mistakes also include failing to mention his contacts with Russians. He's also had to update his application for security clearance after failing to disclose more than 100 calls and meetings with representatives of more than 20 countries, most of them Russia or Russian allies. Although Kushner did answer some questions for congressional probers earlier this week, he got out of having to do so publicly, as did Trump campaign manager Paul Manafort. This week's Manafort mystery is why the Senate Judiciary Committee subpoenaed him on Tuesday only to rescind that subpoena later that evening. Manafort has met with the Senate Intelligence Committee. He has also reportedly turned over his own notes on the also previously undisclosed meeting with Kushner, Trump Jr., and a Kremlin lawyer. But a former Manafort business partner has just been named by the Justice Department's criminal division as a major figure in the Russian mob. First daughter Ivanka Trump has now lawyered up, hiring an attorney to help her weather the Russia investigation. So, can a sitting president be indicted on criminal charges? There's been a lot of debate about that. The answer is yes, according to a man who tried to nail Bill Clinton. Former independent counsel Kenneth Starr, who investigated Clinton's relationship with Monica Lewinsky and Clinton's statements about that, wrote a memo back in the day that's been tucked away in the National Archives for nearly 20 years. It's a government-commissioned analysis that says presidents are not immune from prosecution while in office. Quoting from that memo, it is proper, constitutional, and legal for a federal grand jury to indict a sitting president for serious criminal acts that are not part of and are contrary to the president's official duties. In this country, wrote Starr, no one... Even the president is above the law. Additionally, nothing in the U.S. Constitution says a sitting president is immune from prosecution and no court has ever ruled such a thing. But at the height of Watergate, a lawyer in the Nixon Justice Department wrote, the stigma of indictment would interfere with the president's ability to carry out his duties as outlined by the Constitution in a way that cannot be justified by an overriding need. Nixon's own lawyer said the same in a court brief, as did Bill Clinton's. Trump and his supporters are hanging on to those by a thread. Republicans with nothing to lose are starting to speak. Former Trump rival Jeb Bush blasted Trump on Saturday in New York Central Park and blasted the Republicans who enable Trump. Quoting Bush, if your opponent does things your head explodes on, if Obama did something related to Russia, you say this is outrageous. Then when your guy does the same thing, have the same passion to be critical. Jeb Bush, the former Florida governor, brother of W, and a sad sack of a Republican primary candidate, had advice for Trump, for what it's worth. Don't disparage people, said Bush. Don't go after Mueller. Don't say you're going to pardon yourself. Don't do all that. And it is no longer too early to talk about impeachment. Even USA Today doesn't think it's too early. It's reporting on a new nonpartisan poll that shows that at just six months in, Americans are evenly divided on the question of impeachment. 42% of us think he should be removed from office. 42% of us do not. 34% say we'd be upset if Trump were not impeached. 34% say we'd be upset if he were. That was a week ago at the six-month mark. More tweets and more revelations have come since that poll was taken. Nearly half of us think Trump won't make the entire four years. We the people are at a tipping point, even if our lawmakers in Washington are not quite there yet. Make no mistake about where this country's National Security Agency director stands. NSA's Mike Rogers says he won't serve political purposes in his job because, quote, I will not violate the oath I have taken as a commissioned officer. Speaking at a security forum in Colorado over the weekend, Rogers continued, We are not about particular viewpoints. We are not about particular parties. We take the oath to defend citizens and the values embodied in the Constitution, says Rogers to his workforce, adding, Your integrity isn't worth the price of anybody. You stand up, Rogers tells his staff, and remember that oath we take. Rogers, who refused to tell Congress in open session about his private conversations with Trump, says he's never been pressured, that he would never bow to that pressure. But Rogers says Trump has expressed his disagreement with Rogers' views, and that, says Rogers, 
is exactly the way this is supposed to work. Repealing Obamacare, banning transgenders from the military, the Boy Scout Jamboree, Bob Seska, and some thoughts of my own after this. Well, at least your ears will be happy when you pop in a brand new pair of earbuds from tweakedaudio.com, especially the new Hegon Sport earbuds with silicone caps to help them stay in place. They're water-resistant with a tangle-free cord and a travel pouch. Like other Tweaked Audio products, the Hegon Sport Buds include an inline mic, a gold-plated plug, and of course, extra gels. The Hegons are orange and gray, but Tweaked Audio's other earbuds come in a range of colors and materials, including wood. You can even get buds in sets of two or three. And tweaked audio earbuds just sound better. You certainly can't beat the prices for this level of quality, guaranteed, and the shipping is free anywhere in the world. And because everything sounds better on tweaked audio earbuds, you can get an extra one-third off their already great prices if you check out with the code BBNC at tweakedaudio.com. Thank you for supporting this news through tweakedaudio.com and my other great sponsors and through the donate button at buzzburbank.com. All this week, Republicans in Congress are doggedly pursuing their seven-year threat to repeal and replace Obamacare, throwing tens of millions of people off health insurance. Tuesday's Senate session brought the most drama before the Republican-led Senate finally passed a measure to open debate on repeal and replace. The motion-to-proceed bill passed by one vote, and that was the tie-breaking vote from Vice President Mike Pence. But there was high drama as it came very close to failing. It couldn't have passed if Arizona Senator John McCain hadn't been dragged to Washington while recovering from brain tumor removal. It also nearly failed when Wisconsin Senator Ron Johnson held out, forcing a pause in the voting while he consulted with Majority Leader Mitch McConnell. Even after that, it still took that tie-breaking vote from Pence to squeak through a bill that would lead to... Well, nobody really knew what it would lead to, but they voted on it and passed it anyway. McCain got a standing ovation as he returned to the Senate floor amidst his battle with brain cancer. But McCain was neither the maverick nor the hero that made his reputation, voting to let his fellow Republicans begin picking away at Medicaid and health care for tens of millions. It was, after all, the 61st time McCain had voted to repeal Obamacare. And there were protesters. As the voting began, protesters in the gallery began shouting, Kill the bill, don't kill us. And there were more protesters in the hallways outside, 90 of whom were arrested, including those in wheelchairs who would be denied coverage under any Republican plan so far. The entire proceeding was based on a lie, the first words out of McConnell's mouth as he introduced the vote, the lie that Obamacare is failing. A lie that multiple nonpartisan sources have substantiated as a lie. With Obamacare's neck on the chopping block, the Senate voted on the most recent Republican plan to repeal and replace, the one influenced by Ted Cruz, known as BCRA or the Better Care Reconciliation Act. That plan failed on a 57 to 43 vote. Then they voted to just repeal and not replace Obamacare, throwing 35 million people off health insurance. That plan has also failed. The Senate then moved on to the plan passed by the House earlier this year, an equally cruel plan that also barely passed, the American Health Care Act. Republicans plan to allow amendments, but Democrats are now refusing to offer any so that whatever plan may come forth, Trump and the Republicans own it. Also up for consideration, a so-called skinny repeal in which three forms of Obamacare funding are stripped, including the insurance mandate and... That plan would leave 16 million people uninsured. In the meantime, even with its flaws, Obamacare is still insuring Americans successfully. And after seven years, the Republicans still have no viable replacement plan. Obamacare is still the law of the land after seven years of Republican efforts to kill it. And to date, the Republican White House and the Republican Senate and the Republican House have failed to pass any significant legislation. And now with a commentary, here's Salon.com writer Bob Seska. Thank you, Buzz. Despite the upshot of Tuesday's Senate vote to move forward with repealing or replacing the Affordable Care Act, I'm trying to remain hopeful for a change. 
I've been finding myself rendered speechless lately while observing President Donald Trump's behavior, his incompetence and brazen lack of decency, wondering out loud when our leaders and our fellow Americans will finally grasp the severity of this crisis enough to rise up against it, irrespective of party affiliation. It's too easy these days to slip into despair, especially knowing that the political leader who's setting the Republican agenda is an unpatriotic juvenile, an extraordinarily dangerous supervillain complete with crazy costume, who also may be a traitor against democracy, compromised by the Russian government and its oligarchy. There's much to be angry and despondent about, but frankly, we're nowhere near rock bottom yet. The extent of the criminality and authoritarianism of which this president is capable has yet to be fully explored. There's also more than enough justification, however, to believe that the system, the government of we the people, along with our free press, will continue to pursue its mandate and hold Donald Trump accountable enough to end this madness before it descends into complete socio-political mayhem. Is my hope for a positive outcome well-placed? I think so. Specifically related to this week's events, yes. The Republicans may have won the battle for a vote to begin debating a repeal, or possibly a repeal and replace, or even what's being discussed as a quote-unquote skinny repeal. But it's entirely possible they'll lose the war anyway. Once again, the GOP could barely muster enough votes to proceed according to the rules of the chamber, as when they voted to confirm Neil Gorsuch to the Supreme Court and needed to both block Merrick Garland's confirmation and also to nuke the filibuster in order to barely confirm the Trump-appointed justice, the Republicans had to rely on Vice President Mike Pence's tie-breaking vote, and they also had to roust Senator John McCain from his convalescence after surgery for an aggressive form of brain cancer and fly him back to D.C., and their bill had to remain as secretive as possible in order to hide its insidiousness. As of this reporting, two attempts on Wednesday to pass a repeal of Obamacare have failed. The Better Care Reconciliation Act, also known as the Senate bill, has failed. A second bill, the 2015 full repeal amendment offered up by Senator Rand Paul, also failed. By the way, Rand Paul gets his health care through the D.C. Obamacare exchange and receives premium sharing from American taxpayers. Anyway, the so-called skinny repeal is also on the verge of failing as well. Now, if anything manages to make it through the Senate, the process will go to what's called a conference committee, where we can expect much more bickering between moderate and conservative Republicans, between Trump supporters and never-Trumpers, and between Tea Party hotheads and Northeastern centrists, as the bill gets sorted out among the two chambers, making the debate between factions even more contentious than we've seen so far. Furthermore, Republicans should get ready for town halls and protests that make the intense anti-repeal gatherings so far seem like walnut oil body massages. On top of the bickering on the Hill and in the town halls, we can expect the know-nothing in the Oval Office to make matters worse for the Republicans by shoving his ludicrously quaffed noggin into the proceedings, taking to Twitter to insult and embarrass crucial members whose support he'll need, both now and whenever removing him from office starts to look like a real possibility. Predictably enough, he's already attacked Senator Murkowski while also irritating Republican allies with his tweet about transgender soldiers in the military. Speaking of the president, at some point, perhaps soon, Republican congressional leaders will discover that the name for their pain isn't Schumer or Pelosi or the fake media. It's Donald J. Trump. Discussed with Trump's presidency, especially from Republican A-listers like George Will, Joe Scarborough, David Frum, Bill Kristol, and many others, is supercharging the increasingly amplified D.C. opposition to Trump care and myriad other agenda items. It's worth noting that throughout the day, Republican opponents of Trump were on Twitter cheering against the motion to proceed, a charge they might not have taken up had Trump not been president. Congressional Republicans will also soon discover that the destabilization that Trump is inflicting upon D.C. and the world in general is rendering the GOP even less trustworthy than it already was. Trump is dragging down approval numbers for Congress and spawning a practically unprecedented number of congressional challengers for 2018. There are reportedly 209 Democratic challengers so far, compared with previous norms of around 40 at this point in the cycle. Trump is dead weight for any Republican who's serious about governing and indeed serious about maintaining his or her seat on the Hill through next November, war or terror attack notwithstanding. Paul Ryan and others have to know this already, but D.C. is notoriously slow on the uptake, and too many naive Republicans still seem to be wishing on a star that Trump will finally calm the hell down and take the job seriously. 
Since it appears Trump is perennially just hours away from firing either Jeff Sessions or Robert Mueller, or both, in order to continue obstructing the Trump-Russia investigation, matters are likely to get much more dire for the Republicans before they ever improve. If the Republicans finally lose the war to repeal the ACA, and if the lives and livelihoods of as many as 32 million Americans are once again secure, it'll be the GOP's own fault for overpromising and also for authoring legislation that doesn't make health care better for anyone. It'll be their own fault for not recognizing the toxicity of their president, an illegitimate, despotic, and treasonous faker who won't ever change, and whose presidency is heading precipitously downward fast. I'm Bob Seska for Buzz Burbank News and Comment. Thanks, Bob. Catch him every Tuesday and Thursday on The Bob Seska Show here at RealmNetwork.com. And I'm proud to be now one of the regular guests on that program. I'll join Bob again on Tuesday, August 8th. Another Trump lie was revealed this week when he reversed his position on LGBT rights and announced he's banning transgenders from the U.S. military. Candidate Trump said, quote, I will do everything in my power to protect our LGBTQ citizens from the violence and oppression of a hateful foreign ideology. The fact that he added to that the words, believe me, should have been our first clue. Depending on the estimate, between four and 15,000 transgender men and women already serve in the military that Trump managed to avoid. No word on what happens to those already serving. Also true to form, this was all on a whim. After Trump was lobbied by conservative groups who say they merely wanted to withhold spending on transgender transitions that they did not lobby for an all-out ban on transgender military service. And Trump tweeted his policy non-policy without consultation with the Pentagon. Another Trump lie. His Wednesday morning tweet began, After consultation with my generals, first, they are our generals. Secondly, the consultation claim is another lie. The Pentagon was clearly taken by surprise by Trump's morning tweet, referring reporters' questions to the White House. You'll have to ask the White House, said our military leaders. Defense Secretary James Mattis told a reporter, I shouldn't have been surprised. Indeed, he shouldn't have been. Neither should have the Pentagon, where officials waited nine minutes from the first of three tweets that read, After consultation with my generals and military experts, please be advised that the United States government will not accept or allow. And then, nine minutes of Twitter silence from the president, leaving the Pentagon on edge as they started to move toward the missile buttons to set off a strike on North Korea or some other place. Quoting BuzzFeed, only after the second tweet did military officials receive the news the president was announcing a personnel change on Twitter. The second tweet had arrived. It read, The U.S. government will not accept or allow transgender individuals to serve in any capacity in the military. Trump went on to cite the medical costs and the Disruption, he claims, transgender soldiers would generate less, by the way, than what it would cost to stop handing out Viagra in the military. One report said Trump was just cutting budgets to scrape together money for his Mexican border wall. In fact, transgender procedures make up just one-tenth of one percent of the military's medical budget, less than one-fifth of what the Pentagon spends on Viagra. The transgender ban has been condemned by the American Medical Association, veterans groups, and the ACLU, among others. People protesting the ban poured into the streets in San Francisco and New York's Times Square last night. There is also reasonable speculation Trump focused on transgenders in the military to soothe and appeal to the conservatives who are upset with his regular beatings of Jeff Sessions. Again, between four and 15,000 transgenders already serve proudly, fighting and dying for their country. And the tweet came during Trump's so-called American Heroes Week to honor past and present service members. There are as many as 134,000 transgender veterans. More than a dozen of the closest U.S. allies allow openly transgender personnel. Our own Jeff Sessions Justice Department, meanwhile has just declared that transgenders are not protected from discrimination by the Civil Rights Act. There is some question as to whether a president has the authority to issue such a command, and it's a move Congress could override, and that might happen as more Republicans turn against Trump 
Even Utah Senator Orrin Hatch was offended by Trump's tweet and condemned it harshly and repeatedly, as did people across the political spectrum, including more of his own Republican allies. And there is some question about whether a tweet even constitutes a presidential order. That and a failure to account for the thousands of transgenders already serving are not a policy. They are policy chaos. Moreover, the transgender tweet exposed another Trump lie. A Trump tweet from just over a year ago read, Thank you, LGBT community. I will fight for you while Hillary brings in more people that will threaten your freedoms. Hillary, Hillary was all Trump supporters needed to hear to know their mission at the ballot box. He had them at Hillary. Judging from his tweets, nine months after the election, Trump remains obsessed with the woman he did and didn't beat. For 80 years, presidents have addressed the annual National Boy Scouts convention known as the Jamboree. Tens of thousands of kids from around the world gather for an inspirational speech by the leader of the free world. But this year was jaw-droppingly different because this year it welcomed the jaw-droppingly different president as the honorary president of the Boy Scouts of America. For one thing, it's never a political speech. It's about being better people traditionally, normally. The first President Bush talked about serving others. Truman talked about fellowship and getting to know other people. FDR talked about good citizenship. Donald John Trump talked about a cocktail party he was at 30 years ago to kids. He swore a bit, opening with who the hell wants to speak about politics. But then he spoke of politics anyway and spewed over two dozen cringeworthy comments along the way. Trump's speech to the scouts was every bit as inappropriate as his speech at the wall of those who've fallen at the CIA. He bragged about the size of the crowd, which was about its usual size at around 30,000, and he attacked the First Amendment-protected free press again. He disparaged the U.S. government by calling Washington a cesspool and a sewer. After bragging that 10 members of his cabinet had been Boy Scouts, he threatened to fire one of them, Health and Human Services Secretary Tom Price, who Trump was pressuring to get Obamacare repealed, and then he slammed Obamacare. Nothing in there about being better people or better citizens, just the usual stuff from Trump, this time for kids. He had lived a line about loyalty when repeating that part of the Boy Scout oath. We could use some more loyalty, said Trump, another clear shot at Attorney General Jeff Sessions. He attacked Obama for not showing up at the Jamboree in 2010. Obama was not pleased with the position scouting had taken on gays at the time, but did give an encouraging speech on video. Trump regaled the boys with tales of his electoral college win and all the red on the map that night. He listed the states he won, one by one, and of course he slammed Hillary Clinton. Over 35 rambling minutes, Trump told stories that will no doubt be shared around campfires for the rest of the summer and beyond. Clearly forgetting where he was, Trump thanked the crowd for their votes last November. They're kids. They don't vote. But they did cheer and chant USA and We Love Trump, even though they'd been advised not to engage in the kind of chanting that was so common at Trump rallies last summer. The scouts had been advised to be courteous and kind and to hydrate, fully hydrate. And although a lot of the parents are not happy about Trump's remarks, the kids came away with Trump's promise that thanks to him, they can say Merry Christmas again. It was the kind of speech you'd expect scouting headquarters to condemn, but the BSA has done no such thing. Maybe that's because scouting's chief is also the CEO at AT&T, which would like very much for Mr. Trump's administration to okay its pending merger with Time Warner. It was a political speech, and the scouting code specifies that scouts in uniform should not appear in places where people could, quote, construe their presences as an endorsement. But it was every bit the usual Trump campaign speech, nothing about the importance of scouting, nothing about being good citizens or good people. For a while, the BSA front office remained completely silent, Scouting officials responded to the barrage of criticism by saying only that the organization is nonpartisan and that inviting a president is a long-standing tradition, even though it was absolutely not traditional this year. Many parents have since started pulling their kids out of scouting. Others headed toward scouting are now having second thoughts.
Okay, memo to fellow broadcast journalists. Stop trying to be balanced. The issues are too important to waste time on distractions and repeated lies. For months now, I've been trying to do just this. Others have stopped their well-meaning but misguided pursuit of balance, too, because some have realized that broadcasting the lies along with the fact is not balance, it's confusion and chaos. Commingling lies with the truth only muddies the truth. Lies do not constitute the other side of an issue. They're just lies. For some of us, our allegiance is to the evidence that allows people to draw informed conclusions, but not to spreading the lies of those who are consistent, proven liars telling provable lies, and that includes the president. Not to single out CBS News, which mostly does excellent work, but their attempts at being fair to both sides has saddened me repeatedly this past week. CBS is not alone in this, but it's from that network I bring my examples. A correspondent reported on the evening news that Trump and Manafort have agreed to cooperate with investigators. That sentence should have gone on to say, in divulging information they had previously refused to provide. Instead, the reporting seemed to be trying to say something positive about the Trump organization, as if to say, on the plus side, there is no plus side to keeping your foreign secrets from the U.S. government. Drop this well-intentioned quest for balance. CBS News tweeted this week a quote from Trump in which he said, For 17 years, Obamacare has wreaked havoc. In its own tweet, CBS replaced what Trump had actually said with a what-he-meant parenthetical seven years, which is how long Obamacare has actually been around. Stop trying to make this president appear normal. Stop playing by the rules that Trump doesn't know or respect. Stop trying to placate Trump supporters as you go about your real jobs of asking questions and getting answers. Face it, you've already lost the Trump supporters who've stopped listening to what they believe and what they've been told is fake news, so speak only the truth to those who will still watch for it. And don't get me started on the 24-7 news networks who fill their never-ending shows with people who repeat the lies often enough to plant confusion in the minds of viewers when there is nothing to be confused about. A beautiful video from Vox.com this week pointed out that these days, comedians and satirists are doing a better job of covering the news than are the serious journalists. That's because they're also reporting facts and calling out the lies and the smoke screens and the distractions. Journalists, do your jobs. Investigate. Report what actually happened, not what you think Trump meant and not what you think brings balance. And although we must pay attention to what this president says, our focus should never shift from what he does and what he's already done. Despite his own beleaguerment, Jeff Sessions is forging ahead with his radical right-wing agenda. That right-wing agenda is why Sessions stays when even Trump wants him gone. As Attorney General of the United States, Sessions runs the Justice Department, and the Justice Department is about to announce a new crackdown on marijuana, specifically on the people who use it. In the week ahead, we're expecting a report from Trump's Presidential Task Force on Crime Reduction and Public Safety. That report is expected to link violent crime to marijuana and recommend tougher sentences for people caught growing and selling and for people caught using it. Sessions has been saying violent crime is rooted in immigration and marijuana. Sessions has already asked Congress to let the Justice Department block the state laws that allow legal marijuana use. Put another way, Trump's feds are ready to shut down legal marijuana while also locking up the people who consume it. Violent crime is actually at historic lows, although Sessions and Trump have been capitalizing on a recent slight uptick. Sessions' new approach is to say the uptick could become a long-term trend, and he wants to nip that in the bud, figuratively and literally. Even our top cops know that Sessions and Trump are wrong. Marijuana, quoting the former superintendent of the New Orleans Police Department and chair of a law enforcement leadership group, is not the drug that's driving violent crime in America. It's not the drug with which we see so much death and destruction. Crack and cocaine, he says, heroin and opioids is where we're seeing people die on street corners fighting over territory or control. More than half our states have legal medical marijuana and 8-plus D.C. have legalized it for recreational use. 
It'll be interesting to see how far Sessions' crackdown goes since Republicans have been fierce defenders of states' rights. Of course, it'll also be interesting to see how far Jeff Sessions goes now that he's fallen out of favor with Trump. In case you're wondering how Trump's Made in America week went, well, it ended with his Palm Beach resort asking for visas so it could hire non-American workers. Mar-a-Lago wants to hire 15 foreign housekeepers at $10.33 an hour, 20 cooks at $13.34 an hour, and 35 servers at $11.88 an hour. That's 64 workers to serve and clean for the estate that's host to millionaires and billionaires in a town where the cost of living requires a take-home pay of about $25 an hour. Trump has promised to decrease immigration and create more jobs for Americans as president. As a businessman, it's business as usual, hiring foreign workers instead and keeping their pay low. Donald Trump Jr. has asked for visas as well so he can import farm workers for his winery in Virginia to put America first, as Trump said in his Made America speech one week ago today. The state of Kentucky has been ordered to cough up $225,000 to the same-sex couples who were denied marriage licenses when Rowan County Clerk Kim Davis was in the news. The money is to cover the legal fees of couples who were turned away for what Davis claimed were religious reasons. She was originally named as one of the plaintiffs in this case, as was the county itself, but a district judge ruled it would be unfair to blame Davis or the county since both were following the policies set by the state at the time. So the state pays court costs and legal fees for the four couples that ultimately won when they challenged Kentucky authorities about the state's refusal to follow a recent Supreme Court ruling that legalized same-sex marriage across the nation. I won't be here next week, and neither will this show. Pretty good timing, wouldn't you say? I mean, what could possibly happen while I'm gone? What could possibly go wrong? There is no good time to step away from the scandal that hangs over this president and now over this nation. But family comes first, and it's a duty that's equally a blessing. I will now take a week for the family, and after six months of this, it will rival a Caribbean vacation, even if it's in Kansas. But I will be staying on top of the news, still posting on Facebook and tweeting about the bombshells we are now all dodging daily. So I'll be away, but not gone. And I'll be back the following week to continue the fight for truth, justice, and the American way. Keep an eye on the place while I'm out, please. And thank you for your support and understanding. Coffee to get you up in the morning. This vacuum sucks. And more in the third and final segment up next. I really, really appreciate the support you've shown for this free and independent newscast by doing as much of your shopping as possible through my Amazon links at buzzburbank.com. You'll always land right on your very own Amazon page, and you get the same great prices as always. If you believe in what we're doing here, it's very important. You go to buzzburbank.com, click on the Amazon link, and then bookmark the page to make it one of your favorites. Whether you're already a Prime member or just shopping Amazon for the first time, going through that link, even just that first time, helps sustain this program. Amazon has nearly everything you need right to your door, and in two days or less if you're a Prime member. And you get Amazon Prime Video, which comes with the Prime membership, along with music, books, and more. Please, use my Amazon link if you buy things for your office, school, church, or some other organization. To those of you who already do this, thank you, thank you, thank you, and... If Amazon's not right for you, you can also support this program by clicking the PayPal button just below the Amazon button in the upper right corner at buzzburbank.com. More and more states are raising the smoking age to 21. New Jersey has just become the third state to do so, and Oregon is close behind. The threshold has already been raised in Hawaii and California. The New Jersey law would include all forms of tobacco plus e-cigarettes and the vape machines often used for marijuana. But Governor Christie's statement rings true. It reads, We are giving young people more time to develop a maturity and better understanding of how dangerous smoking can be and that it is better not to start smoking in the first place. Christie added, My mother died from the effects of smoking, and no one should lose their life from an addictive substance. He also said the law would ease the strain on our health care system. Reported here recently a record low number of teen pregnancies. And with that, Trump's new budget eliminates what has been a highly successful program in more than 84 cities, 
preventing pregnancy in girls between the ages of 10 and 19. The programs actually have saved the government more than the one and a quarter million dollars it takes to fund it. The Trump budget keeps money for abstinence-only education and cuts the rest. Do not be hypnotized by the words herb and herbal. The U.S. Food and Drug Administration is recalling a kind of coffee from a company in Grand Prairie, Texas. The company is Best Herbs, and the coffee is called New of Kopi Jantan Traditional Herbs Coffee. The FDA says it is not traditional, not to list all the ingredients. The coffee got the FDA's attention because it was marketed as a male enhancement coffee. And the company failed to list its extra added ingredient, desmethylcarbidenophil, which is similar to sildenafil, which is Viagra. The unlisted ingredient could pose a low blood pressure risk to people on some medications. For others, it was a way to get up in the morning. After you get up in the morning. Actually, Madison, a company that encourages married people to be sexually wayward and provides a website to make that easier, has been ordered to pay over $11 million to the people it has exposed. Thanks to lax security at Ashley Madison two years ago, hackers stole and then published the names of at least 32 million customers, along with their credit card data. In other news, 32 million people were on Ashley Madison at the time. Ashley Madison's parent company, Ruby Corp., has already agreed to pay the Federal Trade Commission $1.6 million for failing to protect its customer information. And now it has to refund an additional $11 million to its customers. The popular retail chain Target managed to take a bad situation and make it worse. In Houston, Annie Banerjee bought a vacuum cleaner from Target, a Dyson, for 300 bucks. When she got home and opened the box, there was no vacuum inside. Just some dirty white towels, some rocks, and a can of chili with no beans. Within the hour, Annie returned to the store, where the manager not only refused to refund her money... He called police on the unhappy customer, telling police she's Hispanic. She's not. She's Indian and a lawyer, an immigration lawyer from India, who feels she was racially profiled because of the color of her skin. She had gone to Target for a vacuum. What she got sucked. Target has issued a statement saying it has apologized to Miss Banerjee and will refund her money and give her a new Dyson at no charge. Target says it's also having a talk with the manager and other employees who were involved in the case, hoping it won't be sued. Target says it's also investigating the towels, the rocks, and the chili with no beans. Terror at the fair. The rides have been shut down after the very first day of the Ohio State Fair in Columbus. Last night, one man was killed and seven others hurt, several of them critically, when a ride called the Fireball ripped apart, throwing riders through the air at 40 feet off the ground. The ride spins at 13 revolutions per minute. The fair continues, but all the rides are closed while they're being re-inspected. Governor Kasich has ordered an investigation. Disney is watching the people who watch movies. Disney scientists say they've come up with a method of analyzing the facial expressions of movie viewers. They say it's a deep learning algorithm designed to use the entire range of expressions in all genders and races. They've tested this already on people watching everything from The Jungle Book to Star Wars The Force Awakens. The algorithm catalogs 16 million facial cues. A computer does the math and reaches conclusions about not just the movie, but every single scene, every character, and every actor. Actors are worried. Passings and Passages. If Mel Blanc was the king of cartoon voices, she was the queen. Actress June Foray, who was the voice of Rocky the Flying Squirrel and Natasha of Boris and Natasha fame, has died at the age of 99. She was also Dudley Do-Right's Nell, Witch Hazel in the Warner Brothers cartoons, Granny in Tweety and Sylvester, Betty Rubble on the Flintstones, Cindy Lou Who in the original How the Grinch Stole Christmas, and countless others, including video game characters. Foray's responsible for the Oscar category for animation, and she would have been 100 years old next month. Her voices will live on forever. At a public park in Toronto, Tom Riley Park, there's a lovely community garden that features a path, a steep, rocky path. 
I've seen so many people fall over that, says neighborhood resident Gail Rutherford. Gail's husband, Astle, has seen it too. And no one had ever done anything about it. So the Rutherfords of Toronto contacted their local representative about the city building a stairway over that path. That, the Rutherfords were told, would cost sixty-five, maybe $150,000, and the money just isn't in the budget. So Astle Rutherford got in his truck, went to Home Depot, bought the materials, hired a homeless guy, drove to the park where they built a stairway with handrails in about 14 hours. Total cost of the project, $550. Not $150,000, not $65,000, The city has now put yellow tape around the stairway, preventing people from using it, and says it may have to be torn down. Bureaucracy is everywhere, even in Canada. You know how tough it is to get a spot of glue off your thumb? Now imagine trying to remove 350 gallons of glue from a highway. Dateline Eugene, Oregon. A freight truck tipped over on the I-105 on-ramp last week and spilled 250 gallons of resin epoxy, the glue they use in plywood up there in lumber country. The good news would be that the resin epoxy is less of a problem when it's not exposed to the activator chemical that turns it into a hardened glue. The bad news is the truck was, yes, also carrying the activator chemical. The mixture coated the roadway, forcing traffic to be shut down. Some of it ran off into storm drains and clogged them. The cleanup took about 20 hours. They squeegeed a lot of it off the road before it could harden, but it was a race against time. There was a chance they might have had to tear up the road, but now officials say no pavement will need to be replaced. Who knows? With the glue reinforcement, it may last even longer. It's the little old lady from Philadelphia. Police there have just handled what they call an unusual job with a happy ending. A 65-year-old woman stole a taxi cab at around midnight. She started out as a passenger on her way to the Sugar House Casino, where she asked the driver to pull over so she could get something to drink. He got out of the car because it appeared she was having trouble walking. That's when she jumped into the driver's seat and drove away. The taxi driver immediately called police and reported the theft of his cab, and police began their search. In the meantime, the woman went about town picking up and dropping off passengers, all the while raising more money for her big night at the casino. When police caught up with her, there was a young mother and her baby in the back seat, a 23-year-old passenger who was surprised to hear that her driver wasn't really a driver. The 65-year-old alleged cab thief now faces the appropriate charges, No one was hurt, the driver has his cab back, and police have closed the case. So yeah, an unusual night with what we'll take as a happy ending. A phone rang in Australia, and the man who picked it up couldn't believe his luck. He had won the Oz Lottery, one of three winners in a $50 million jackpot. At first, disbelief. Are you serious, he asked. I can't believe it, he exclaimed. And then it sank in. You've made my whole life, he told the caller. How amazing is this, he exclaimed. The man and the lottery officials compared numbers to make sure, yep, he was a winner of nearly $17 million in a cash payout. The news in that call could not have been any better, and having learned what he thought was everything he needed to know, he hung up. And then terror set in. He realized he had no information about claiming his prize. Fortunately, the lottery official hit redial. This kind of thing happens a lot. A winner in Queensland screamed for several minutes on hearing the news, shouting into the phone, Oh my God, you've stopped my heart. I need my heart fixed. The latest big winner says he plans to invest his winnings and, quote, have a happy life. A medical marijuana store in Gardner, Maine, has been giving it away in exchange for a little community service. The owners of the Summit Medical Marijuana Store posted last Saturday they were offering a gram of free weed to anyone over 21 who brings in an oversized bag of trash they've picked up. Under the law in Maine, gifting marijuana is legal, but there's a temporary moratorium on selling it. So the owner and his wife decided to hand it out and clean up the town in the process. Co-owner Dennis Megan says that when he saw the response... He stayed up all night loading those little one-gram zip bags. People came from as far away as Banger. At the end of the day, says Dennis, it isn't about the money. Often, at the end of the day, it's about something else. 
And finally, in all my years, this is my first dumb napping story. In San Francisco, a week ago tonight, around 11 p.m., a man was mugged by two other men in the Polk Gulch neighborhood. The victim of the mugging is a ventriloquist. He was beaten, and the assailants took his dummy. The ventriloquist was in stable condition by Friday, but we still don't know the dummy's name. Police were eyeing two suspects, age 25 to 30, and they had not been identified either. Police say they do not yet know the motive. No word on whether there's a ransom. And no word at all yet from the dummy. I'm Buzz Burbank. Thanks for listening and for supporting the shows and sponsors at buzzburbank.com. I'll be back Thursday, August 10th with another Buzz Burbank news and comment. The preceding presentation was brought to you by The Realm Network.